Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 9th, 2017. Yeah, it's going to be weird. <laughs> going to weigh in on the Carl Lentz controversy. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage. I mean, like no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we should be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine is far from what God's Word says. It's not even close in, in so many instances. In fact, I would say it is getting farther and farther and farther away from what God's Word says and reveals. I mean, somebody just baptizes a false teaching in just a wee bit of scriptural language or semantics or terminology, and everyone goes, well, that's biblical. It's got, it's got to be the truth. Yeah, no. That's not how that works. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said, we're going to weigh in on the Carl Lentz controversy. We're going to actually listen to a portion of his appearance on The View at the end of October. And uh, note how he soft pedals uh, abortion. And uh, this is not the first time that we've seen a Hillsong uh, representative, including uh, Carl Lentz, a soft pedal, a very, you know, it's something that is so clear in Scripture. So we're going to try to, at least in weighing in, uh, provide a wee bit of a little insight as to what's driving it. Clearly, what he did was wrong. But the question is, what's driving this so that, you know, Hillsong consistently, when pushed on clear things, you know, like homosexuality and now abortion, 
uh, Hillsong leaders always seem to go really squishy, um, non-committal. They sound like the emergent church of uh, more than ten years ago. Now, ten years ago, I cannot believe that uh, <laughs> the emergent church is not a thoroughgoing thing. When we started fighting for the faith, the emergent church was the bee's knees. It was the thing that was going to save the church. And who says they're emergent anymore? Anyway. So let's talk about what we're going to do kind of in order here. We're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're going to listen to John Thomas. And, uh, and what the, the name of the segment is The Mystery of Dead Promises. The Mystery of Dead Promises. <laughs> what on earth is this? This is from the Dreams and Mysteries television program. It's a soundbite, if you would, from there. And uh, you're going to note that uh, John Thomas is going to address what is it when, you know, you've received a prophetic word from uh, some prophet type, you know, maybe Vonda. <laughs> You know, Vonda, the nagging prophetess, it told you that Trump was not going to be the president, uh, the uh, <laughs> the presidential nominee for the Republican Party. So what happens when you experience dead promises? And we're going to note that what he's going to do here, number one, these aren't dead promises. These are false prophecies. Uh-huh. So uh, it, he's playing fast and loose with the semantics. But to kind of further that along, you're going to see that when he makes allusions to Scripture. I mean, he is just ripping stuff out of context and using Bible language to make it sound like that, you know, the Scriptures support this idea of what to do when you've experienced dead promises. They're not dead promises, uh, John. They are false prophecies, but you kind of get the idea. Then we're going to do a a New Apostolic Reformation update. James Gall of the NAR will be teaching us what to do uh, you know, about revelation without deception. <laughs> I mean, I saw this on his uh, Vimeo channel and thought, what? You know, um, James Gall is one of these guys who just completely traffics in deception. How can he talk about revelation without deception? Because he's like one of the king of the deceptors. Deceptors? Deceiver, deceivers. <laughs> yeah, I've got that. Them, them deceptors out there. Yeah, I'm inventing language all up in here as we speak. And um, somewhere in there, we're going to end up taking a uh, a break. And uh, then we're going to do a Hillsong twin spin. We're going to start off with uh, Carl Lentz's soft peddling of the uh, of abortion, which is murder. And that's, I mean, straight up what, what abortion is. The, the scriptures are clear in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, and abortion is, is the taking of a human life. But we're going to take a look at, you know, so everybody's talking about this. We're going to take a look at the broader context of his appearance on The View and why he was there. And we're going to note some of the interaction here uh, from some of the uh, people on The View as if they're they're really hoping that, you know, there's a church out there that, uh, you know, that will once and for all free everybody from this idea that abortion is a sin. Uh-huh. And uh, unfortunately... The way Carl mishandled himself uh, shows that he does not properly understand law and gospel. And, uh, you know, although he's trying to not turn off any potential customers, that's really what's going on. uh, He ends up uh, getting a lot of people in uh, the Christian church really upset, and rightly so. And uh, and then, uh, like I said, we're doing a Hillsong twin spin. We're going to hear from uh, Chad Veach 
who is a Hillsong pastor in Southern California. He's preaching at Hillsong, uh, Sydney, Australia. And the name of the message we'll listen to a portion of is titled Make More Room. It is a twisting of, uh, I think it's Second Samuel chapter 4. And uh, then in hour number two, our sermon review, we're going to listen to Don Sherry Wilkerson. This is the wife of Rich Wilkerson. And I know a lot of people think of that Rich Wilkerson is like one of these upcoming guys in kind of the attractional church. And um, let's just say that uh, this sermon review should serve as a red flag. Those of you who want to think that Rich Wilkerson is on the level, I, you know, the guy is, I mean, squeaky clean and he's... Uh, you know, he just looks like he's got a great heart to him and stuff like that. But the problem is uh, his theology is wackerdoodle and his wife's theology is doubly so. So uh, that will be uh, our episode today. By the way, the name of the message we'll be listening to is titled Church. It's a group project and it'll be a twisting of the uh, book of Nehemiah. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to the Dreams and Mysteries YouTube channel as we listen to a segment uh, from a recently aired portion of their television program, Dreams and Mysteries. Uh, John Thomas is going to explain to us uh, the mystery of dead promises. Mm -hmm. Not a biblical category. We'll explain as we go, but here's John Thomas to explain. Here we go. What promise do you have that's not fulfilled? Is your child that was called by God to ministry running? Caught up in drugs, selfishness, materialism, or pride? Yeah, you're going to note here. You know, so your God who was called to ministry, is he running? Uh, this is an example, I mean, over and again in the NAR-type churches and in many charismatic churches who claim that they have living prophets who uh, you know come and speak to them. You know, during the, you know, afterglow portion of the services, these prophets make prophecies over people saying, oh, I'm feeling the Lord telling me that your son is going to be a world changer, part of Joel's army, God's calling him to ministry. And you're thinking, thank God, because can't seem to get him off the couch and then nothing ever happens. Yeah, that's not an unfulfilled promise. That's a false promise prophecy. Do you have a prophecy about a business that's delayed? 
Delayed. delayed, yeah, de- delayed. Yeah, it's just a de- no. This is again a false prophecy. The healing of an illness that lingers, or a breakthrough in anointing, it has yet to manifest. A church still waiting for revival. Don't give up. Does it look like the opposite has happened? Don't quit. Just don't give up. Don't quit. Never surrender. Yeah, let me give you the real category here from Scripture. And uh, this is uh, taken from Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 15. We're going to note the context because there's an overt prophecy regarding Jesus Christ himself. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15, written by Moses, by God's command. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here's the explicit promise, uh, which finds its fulfillment. This promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself. And we would note uh, that, uh, you know, kind of the cross-reference here to show the fulfillment is found in uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. For he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So you know, and long ago God spoke by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. So this is the fulfillment then of the first part of what we're looking at in Deuteronomy 18. And anybody who will not listen to him, God's going to require it of him. Yeah, you listen to Jesus. You, you despise Jesus' words, you do so to your own eternal peril. Verse 20 then goes on to say, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Yeah, that's right. In ancient Israel, it was a capital crime to give a false prophecy. And if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So here we got a problem, and that is is that John E. Thomas is describing people who have experienced false prophecies. They were promised something regarding their children that has not come to pass. They were promised something regarding their businesses that has not been fulfilled. And here he's created this false character, you know, this false category of, um, of of dead promises that have yet to be fulfilled. 
Yet Scripture doesn't call these dead promises. Scripture calls the ones who speaks these things false prophets, and those who have spoken presumptuously words that God has not given them to give. And so this is a big problem within the charismatic and Pentecostal movements because you have truckload of people, I mean, you know, by the bazillions who have had these promises spoken over them by so-called modern-day prophets that have not yet come to pass. And the reason for that is simple. They're false prophets. God's promises are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It may take time, but wait for it. He is. It may take time. Just keep waiting. Keep waiting. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Faithful, and he will not fail. Begin to speak to that mountain. Grace, grace. Oh God. Say to the mountain, grace, grace. How is that going to make a false prophecy come true? Unless you provide grace, nothing will happen. I can't make this thing happen in my own strength. Only you can make this happen. Come move. God won't move because they were false prophets speaking false prophecies. Now, take a moment to think of that promise, that unfulfilled dream. Feel the pain. No, 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 no. False prophecy. Now, watch what he does next. He's going to literally engage in a, a guided meditation, if you would, with you focusing your thoughts and meditating on Jesus' suffering and death and burial in the tomb as a metaphor, no joke, you know, Jesus' death and, and then being having his body buried in the, in the tomb become a metaphor for your unfulfilled promise that a false prophet spoke over you. Yeah, let me back this up just a little bit. Listen to what he does. This is so demonic. Take a moment to think of that promise, that unfulfilled dream. Feel the pain of it for just a minute. Remember that the disciples... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed at this point to take your eyes off the fact that the person who spoke these prophecies over you was a false prophet and instead guide you in some weird meditative way so that you will believe, keep believing those false prophecies will eventually pan out. They won't because they were false prophecies. Looking at the broken body of Jesus being laid in the tomb. Feel the pain of disappointment for just a minute. Yeah, Jesus' broken body in the tomb is a metaphor for your unfulfilled false prophecies. See these bones. They're very dry. Um, no, when Jesus was laid in the tomb, he still had, you know, body fluids and stuff. So his bones were pretty wet. Now let me speak over these bones. Yeah, you, you speak over the bones. Now this sounds so biblical. I mean, I mean, because, you know, immediately people think, oh, Valley of the Dry Bones. So he's going to speak over the bones. Yeah, that's not the point of uh, the Valley of the Dry Bones either. And notice he's mixing his biblical metaphors here. Uh, to uh, kind of resuscitate hope that your dead dreams are going to come. That dead promises are actually going to come alive. Bones, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, you're not speaking the word of the Lord, John. You're twisting it. That means you're blaspheming. Come together. Every circumstance that needs to happen for this promise to be fulfilled, come together, receive strength. Do you think twisting God's word and then speaking authoritatively in an area that you don't have authority 
will somehow make these false prophecies actually come to pass? Deep flesh, bones come together. Spirit of God, breathe, breathe on your people. Breathe on these bones. Bones receive life. Oh, there, yeah, your dead promises. They're going to come just roaring back to life. Now, I mean, this, yeah, this is a show. Receive the spirit of God and come to life. Promise be fulfilled. Prodigals, come home. Sickness, go. Pain, leave. Marriage, be healed. Relationships, be restored. Church, be revived. Passion for Jesus, arrive. Spirit of God, move in the lives of your people. Cause life to come to promises. Fulfill your word. You are faithful. We trust you. Let the army arise. Let the promised land be occupied. Let destiny. Let the promised land be occupied. Yeah, your dead promises are going to come roaring back to life. John Thomas is doing something, man. He's doing. He's doing nothing. This is designed to basically keep, continue to keep you under the grips of these false prophets. Scripture is clear. If somebody says something's going to come to pass, and it doesn't come to pass, and they say, "Thus saith the Lord," they're a false prophet. And um, you know, Deuteronomy eighteen. Had they been alive in the time of um, the uh, ancient theocracy of Israel, they would be facing capital crime charges of of false prophecy. (sighs) Yeah, I think you get the idea. All right, moving along. Time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. Let's do this. Children, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. Laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so we're heading over to the Vimeo channel of uh, the self-appointed apostle uh, James Gall of the NAR as he explains to us revelation without deception, which is weird because this whole thing is just chock full of deception. (laughs) It's just bizarre, but here we go. Hey, I'm James Gall, and I'm with God Encounters Ministries, and I believe that God Encounters are for everyone and that means you wow that's great um god encounters could you show me a biblical text that says that god encounters are for even me i mean yeah this this emphasis on me really 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 strokes my ego but that's what makes me suspect here that something nefarious is afoot I have the privilege of bringing to you a video lesson that is about you, it is for you, and your personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. About me, huh? You don't even know me. <laughs> it's like, how do you make this about me, you know, and for me, you know? You learning to receive revelation from God without fear. Learning to receive revelation from God without fear. 
hmm, this sounds like some kind of a demonic setup. Yes, the devil would like you to believe that you are receiving direct revelation from God, and he wants you to do so without fear so that you can boldly and, uh, you know, kind of unquestioningly listen to the devil's voice as he whispers nonsense in your ear, like things about dead promises and stuff. Being deceived by the enemy. This is about you discovering how to respond to divine revelation once you've received it, and then how to reach maximum impact of what you have already received. Uh, yeah, that maximum impact. Yeah, you can find that in fourth delusions. <clears throat> Likely, the reason that you're watching this video right now is that you have personally experienced God in your past, but it could be that somewhere along the way, things got off track or maybe went wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which kind of calls into question, did I really have an encounter with God if things went off track? The way, Yeah, kind of the standard train wreck that occurs in the charismatic movement because it's all false doctrine. Or that you don't feel like you have yet reached your full potential. Well, join the crowd. Join the crowd. Uh, yeah. Have you not yet reached your full potential? Oh, man. Already this is suffering from a major problem, and that is this guy isn't teaching anything that's actually in the Bible. I'm hungry, too. How about, yeah, how about you? Yes, I'm hungry. Hungry, too. Yes, I'm hungry. How about you? Have you now ever wondered? Have you questioned? Let me give you some questions that you and I have probably both pondered about. Yeah, you go ahead and give me those questions. I'm sure that uh, the answers will be quite mysterious. How can I receive more revelation from God? How can I How can I receive more revelation from God? Don't you think that if God wants to give you revelation, he'll just do it, you know, because he's God and there's like nothing I need to do in order to be receiving more revelation from God, as if somehow I've got to jump through certain prophetic hoops in order to, you know, receive revelation from God. No scripture teaches this. Oh. If something I do supernaturally receive, if it is from God, from the powers of darkness, from the devil, or from my own flesh. And then a third question that you've probably been pondering, as I have, once I have received revelation, and I know it is from God, how should I appropriately respond to it? Well, the big problem this first lesson addresses is how to receive more supernatural revelation. This video series is set up in three parts. And this is a wonderful new free course designed just for you called Revelation Without Deception. Essential Keys to Receiving, Discerning, and responding to the supernatural. In these lessons that we're going to share together, I'm going to offer some answers to you to each of these three questions that we just have just looked at together.
And my belief is that you're going to get as excited as I am by the answers because they're going to open new possibilities and new hope for you to experience God like you dream that you can. Mm, Yeah, so going through this free course will make it so that you can yeah, experience God even more and, it, and like you've always wanted to. Yeah. Um, this is already deceptive and it's sketchy at its core. Unlike perhaps you never have before. And even better, I'm going to give you practical tools that you can use to make sure. To make sure what? <laughs> that you are receiving supernatural revelation from God through all of your senses. Mm, yeah. I get the feeling I'm going to need to come back to this. I mean, this just sounds like oh, the best invention ever. I mean, you know, steps and techniques to receiving more encounters and more revelation and, and absolutely being certain that this more revelation stuff is, you know, really God and not my own piece of you know, bad digestion and stuff like that. I get the feeling I'm going to have to come back to this. This is quite the promise. But um, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. When we come back... We're going to be hearing from Carl Lentz as well as uh, Chad Beach of uh, Hillsong. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. 
Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian turtle. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven, Inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief weapons are, our chief weapons are, um, purpose. uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop, stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 <laughs> we'll soon change your mind about that! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. A warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that dead promises are actually false prophecies because that's what they really are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or... Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. 
praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praise Him for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest, he'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord. Songs out on CD, just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Bula, solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid Praise the Lord for modern Christianity. said religion should be free. Yeah, that's right. That can mean only one thing. It's time for a Hillsong update. So uh, we're heading over to The View, and uh, Carl Lentz recently appeared on The View uh, in order to, well, he, he's going making the circuit to sell books. That's the context here. Remember, in order to sell books, lots of them, you need to have a broad appeal to the largest market segment as possible, which is part of kind of um, the methodology, the magic, if you would, behind Hillsong. They have this really strange habit of shaving off all of the hard edges of Scripture in order to have the broadest appeal possible. And somehow they think this is a good thing. So you have to note what's going on here and the context in which it is happening. Many people have already weighed in about the fact that, uh, well, Carl Lentz really soft-pedaled the abortion issue. Yeah, he has, but this isn't the first time that a leader like Carl Lentz or Brian Houston or any of the major leaders of Hillsong has publicly soft-pedaled hardball questions aimed at addressing some of the thorny, less popular issues uh, pertaining to the Christian faith. And there's a reason why Scripture is so difficult, and that is, is that people are born dead in trespasses and sins. They're at war with God. And uh, we are called to preach the truth in season and out of season. Let me give you a text, though. Let me give you a text. This will help frame this all. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Yep, every last bit of it, including that commandment that says, Thou shalt not murder. And those passages of Scripture that make it clear that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and knit together in our mother's wombs. You think about the fact that the apostle, not the apostle, that Jesus himself and the prophet, John the Baptist, his forerunner, uh huh, they were doing their work even in utero. Read Luke chapter 1, which makes it clear that human life begins at conception. 
Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so all Scripture, including those parts, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Paul goes on and then says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. In other words, fear Jesus more than man, and by his appearing in his, king, in his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and doctrine. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And what we're going to see happening as Carl Lentz appears on The View is the pressure being put on him to put away those sound doctrines that God has revealed in his God-breathed word and to instead tell people what they want to hear. That's the subtext of this uh, encounter that we're going to cover here. But here's uh, the, the the introduction of Carl Lentz as, for his appearance on The View. Here we go. Well, amen. Please welcome author of the new book, Own the Moment, Pastor Carl Lentz. The name of the book is Own the Moment. I, I just cannot think of a biblical text that teaches this, at least not in the way in which I'm pretty sure his book is trying to teach. <laughs> Started. You really don't look like any uh, pastor that I've ever seen. Yeah. Unless, well, priests sometimes they sort of dress like this when they're not, you know, in the collar. But this is the way you dress normally. And no, I normally have a collar. You and do. A robe. No, uh-huh. I'm kidding. This is, <laughs> it, we just kind of try to be ourselves at all times. Uh-huh. And, um, I've heard that before that we don't look typical. So you have heard it before. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. He's got tattoos. Do you really? Yeah. Some, yeah. some are stickers, some are real. Over the years, I've got some tattoos. Most of them have to do with my family. Um, uh, just how little, many do you have? A couple. <laughs> uh, maybe 10, 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hillsong is seen as a uh, this hip, progressive church that's drawing huge millennial crowds. Mm-hmm. But it's still evangelical. So where do you stand? On- yeah, is it, though? Uh, to say that it's hip and progressive sounds accurate, but to say that it's truly evangelical, if by evangelical you're referring to historical evangelicalism and its firm stand and courageous proclamation of the gospel and the word of God, I don't know if Hillsong fits that category. Social issues that that young people are particularly passionate about, like gay marriage, abortion. Now, I'm going to back this up because I want you to hear her question again in context without me interrupting it. And notice the pressure already is in the direction of the culture saying to the church, church, you need to change your doctrines. You need to cave to our desires. You need to think that things are important that we say are important. Watch how the question assumes that, and already the pressure is being put on Carl Lentz by this lady. 
song is seen as a uh, this hip progressive church that's drawing huge millennial crowds mm -hmm. but it's still evangelical so where do you stand on social issues that that young people are particularly passionate about like gay marriage abortion like how do you address those types of things now notice so the millennials this is important to them gay marriage and abortion and things like that and uh, where do you stand on this so you'll note that she's expecting that, you know, Carl Lentz has his own views. But see, here's the thing. As Christians, we do not have the right or authority to have our own doctrines or our own views. As a preacher of the word, my job is to proclaim what the word Says Now, this is an important little bit of exegesis here from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word in season and out of season. The Greek word here for preach is not preach in the context of give a sermon. It is the Greek word keruso, and here's what it says, to make an official announcement, announce or to make known, to make public declarations, to proclaim aloud. So if you're going to preach, what are you preaching? The word, you are making official announcements. And who are those announcements from? They're from God. And so you think of the old heralds. A herald is, a, a herald, by the way, would be a good um, synonym for to, uh, to preach here. Herald the word. Herald, think of it you know, back in the medieval period, a herald would be a, an official sent by a king or by the royal court. And a, carus, you know, a herald would go out and open up a scroll and say, Hear ye, hear ye, by proclamation of the king. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving. You know, actually, it's not next Thursday. It's Thursday after that. But you get the idea. So, you know, uh, somebody who is making an official announcement, they, do, they have no authority to change the announcement. They only have the authority to make it. And so that is the actual word in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, preach the word, herald the word. Make an official announcement of what the word says. But this question already by this lady assume and by the way, I never watched the view, so I don't even know who these women are. Uh that this this blonde lady, she's basically saying, Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on um gay marriage? And he's there, and you'll note that they've introduced him as both author and pastor. So which is is he going to give? Is he going to give his own personal opinion, or is he going to herald the word? Now, this see, the thing is, is that as Christians, <laughs> my opinion should not differ than Christ's opinions and what God has revealed in his word. So my personal opinion regarding abortion is the same opinion that Scripture reveals. It's murder. Gay marriage, absolute abomination. There's no such thing as gay marriage. God is strictly opposed to it. It's sinful. So I, my, my conscience is bound to the Word of God. How about Carl Lentz? Is his conscience bound to the Word of God? Well, let's find out. 
So we're going to go right there. Yeah. Um, I thought we'll go hard right. yeah. and then we'll come down. It's only an hour show. <laughs> Do I need to ring that bell? <laughs> yeah. Any time uh, a uh, well-known pastor appears on a secular media interview show, he should expect the uh, fast inside fastball aimed right at his head. So he should have known this was coming. Our, our job is still to help people not necessarily change how they think, but try to point them to what God has said, what we believe the Bible to, to say. And I'm going to back that up because, boy, he's already just gone squishy. Listen again. And then we'll come down. So it's only an hour show. Do I need to ring that bell? I think our, our job is still to help people not necessarily change how they think. but try. Yeah, it's weird. Scripture says that we Christians are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that occurs, that happens through the what God has revealed in his word. Point them to what God has said, what we believe the Bible to, to say. And it's- no, 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 no. See, there again, there's the problem. We are not to point people to what we believe the Bible says. We are to point people to what the Bible says. See the difference? Not what we believe it says, but we need to point them to what it says. What we believe needs to conform to what it says and what it means. Things are already way backwards here. Hard because I, I grew up in a church system. And I know a lot of people here probably understand where discussion and conversation is really limited. So you get told a lot of views, but you can't work it out. So we believe... Yeah, you get told a lot of views, but you can't work it out. Now, I know what he's talking about. I grew up in that same system where I was told, this is what you were to believe. And you sit there and go, well, uh, can you show me in Scripture where it says that? Well, here's a verse. Um, I don't understand how that verse supports this. You've got to believe it because this is what we believe. And there is a church environment. There are some church environments where questions are not only not exactly encouraged, they are discouraged. And, uh, and the reason, I think, for that is quite simple, because the pastor doesn't know his Bible. Well, we believe this because we've always believed it, so you need to believe it too. And even though I haven't really quite worked it all out, you know, and, and if you sit there and go, whoa, 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 what about this? What about this? You see, a pastor should be ready at all times to be able to field tough questions and know the Scriptures well enough to be able to give a biblical answer in the face of a hostile question. So Carl has already gone evangelifish here. Bible's clear that God is good, that God loves everybody, that Jesus was here to set people free, and that's yeah. So notice where he's going to with for the clarity. I got to back this up because he's well. The Bible's clear. What's it clear about? Discussion and conversation is really limited. So you get told a lot of views, but you can't work it out. So we believe that the Bible's clear that God is good, that God loves everybody, that Jesus was here to set people free, and that's right. Set them free from what exactly? You see, the Bible's clear. Murder is a sin. The Bible's clear. Human life begins at conception. Uh huh. The Bible's clear. Why is he saying, well, the Bible's clear that God is good, that Jesus came to set us free, set us free from what? The answer to that question, by the way, the what is set us free from sin, death, and the devil. Still the good news of the gospel. Um, our fight in New York, for instance, is to try to make sure everybody can get in and hear it because we've been told if you disagree, you are disconnected. And we don't believe that. We believe everybody deserves the right. Who told me that? Yeah. I don't think anybody told me that. I think that's the cultural religious norm right now is if you and I disagree, we're done. 
I don't believe it has to yeah. be the case. You're thinking- All right. So what, it's clear what he's trying to do here. You see, he's, he doesn't want to just answer the question directly because he doesn't want to offend. You see, the culture we live in right now, if you disagree with what I believe, then our conversation's done. So he, wa- he doesn't want to give a clear answer because he's afraid that in so doing, he's going to shut down the possibility of us having a conversation. And I can ask the question. I just have to. I mean, I've watched enough Hillsong uh, church services to know how the standard service goes. I mean, you got your 30 to 40 minutes of worship music. Um, you get a mini sermon on, uh, you know, the, about giving money to God. Uh, you get announcements, and then you get a, you know, self-help pep talk kind of sermon uh, with verses ripped out of context, and you you leave feeling good. That's a one-way conversation. One-way conversations are called monologues; they're not called dialogues. So he, here he's giving this idea that we 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 want to we want to be able to have the conversation. So he's not going to give a, a a straight answer, you know. So it, do you think if he gave the biblical answer that it you know that he would lose the possibility for quote monologues that he thinks are dialogue? I mean, I'm sorry, but he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Herald the word. It's real simple. God's word says this is a sin. Christ bled and died for sins. Each and every one of us are sinners. We need to repent and be forgiven for all of the sins we committed. And yes, homosexual marriage is a sin. And yes, abortion is a sin. So that the religious groups are putting that out. I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and, and other sides. I think people right now are so caught up in disunity on every front that uh-huh. it's also kind of invaded the church world and... Um, what I love about our church is you have different races, different faces, different um, backgrounds, but people are committed to one cause, and, and it makes our So it's not special. a sin in your church to have an abortion? Now, did you, did, you see, did you hear what she just said? It's not a sin in your church to have an abortion. Boy, that's quite the question, isn't it? When, when and where did individual churches get the right to opt out of certain teachings from Scripture. There is no church that is a Christian church that blesses abortion. There is no church that is a Christian church that says, yeah, that's no big deal. It's not a big deal to God. It's not a sin in here. So let's see what he does. So she asked the straight-up question. So in your church, abortion is not a sin? Um, that's the kind of conversation we would have. Find- the kind of conversation we would have. Out your story, where you're from. What Work you believe. It. Like, yeah, I mean, God's the judge. People have to live to their own convictions. And mm-hmm. I think if I have to. God's the judge and people have to live by their own convictions. Oh, uh, scripture is clear. Mm-hmm. Very clear. It's, it's, it says clear about the fact that God loves us, that murder is sin. It's equally clear on both. That's such a that's such a broad question to me. I'm going I'm going higher. I want to sit with somebody and say, where do you believe? Um, so it's I've, not an open and shut case with you. Some people would say it is. I, I think to me, I'm trying to teach people who Jesus is first. Mm-hmm. Find out their story before I start picking and choosing what I think is sin in your life. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know your picking and choosing what I think is sin in your life. Sin is a transgression of God's holy law. 
sin occurs when we break one of God's commandments. And we break those commandments in thought, word, and deed. Sin is objectively defined in Scripture. It is not subjectively defined. So I think you see the issue. All of this is backwards, upside down, inside out. And there's a reason why, because the whole context here is that um, Carl Lentz has appeared on The View in order to sell books, and you need to have a broad appeal. In order to have a broad appeal, you have to offend as few people as possible. And that is the problem. As Christians, we are not called to you know, try to offend as few people as possible. Their offense is not going to keep them from Jesus. The reason why they don't believe in Jesus is because they're born dead in trespasses and sins. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So we must herald God's word in all of its thorny, sharp, hard edges that the culture bristles at. In fact, those are the parts that we should herald the strongest, and call people to repent of their sins. But that requires us to call sin what it is. And keep in mind, then, that Scripture is clear. The solution to our sin problem is not to try harder or to do better, but to repent and to be forgiven for transgressing God's holy law. Which, by the way, is a message I have yet really to hear any Hillsong pastor properly proclaim like ever. All right, we're going to stay under the Hillsong umbrella at this point. And I want you to hear, I mean, so if somebody decides they're going to go to a Hillsong church, like, you know, headquarters in uh, Sydney, Australia, what kind of message will they get? Well, they're going to get this message from Chad Veach titled Make More Room. And Chad Veach is a Hillsong pastor from Southern California. And watch what he does. I mean, he totally manipulates God's word and just makes it, like, unintelligible. This is, like, standard fare at Hillsong churches as far as their mangling of God's Word. Here's Chad Veach. Second Kings chapter number 4. I want to preach a message. Preach this two weeks ago at home. I'm still excited about it, so I'm going to preach it today. Is that all right? Anybody love the Bible today? Anybody love the version of the Bible that we heard from those guys? Nope, me neither. Okay. Amen. Second Kings chapter number four, verse number one. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, Well, tell me, what, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, well, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, okay, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, son, bring me another vessel. And he said, mom, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and she told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, real quick, he read out 
that entire story. There is nothing else to that story, at least regarding the widow of one of the sons of the uh, one of the white you know one of the widows of the sons of the prophets. It is a story of God's care for um, a believing woman, uh, the widow of a prophet. Uh, it is God's care for his children, and miraculously so. One of the rare times in Scripture where we see the miraculous in this type. And it talks really about God's faithfulness, God's love, and God meeting the needs of people. We don't see parallels quite like this until, and I mean this, until Jesus comes in the, in the New Testament. Uh, where he meets people's needs miraculously so, especially regarding their physical ailments, the forgiveness of their sins, and raising people from the dead and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, remember, Jesus is both, not both, but he's he's prophet, priest, and king. And so here we see the miraculous working of two prophets in particular, Elijah and Elisha. They are notable in their miracle working and kind of a high watermark in Scripture as far as the miraculous. And it again, it's not mirrored again until you see Christ performing miracles, you know, raising people from the dead and stuff like that. So um, what does it all mean? Notice I, my proclivity, you know, the thing I'm, I'm wanting to do is somehow anchor this back in Christ because all Scripture points to him, and the prophets especially are ones who point us to Christ. Uh, explicitly in their prophecies, uh, and also, you know, from their type and shadow, from their lives and the details of their lives. But let's see what Chad does with this, because, you know, this is a text that's going to be tough to work with if you don't understand how Scripture comes back to Christ. Oh, I love this story. In the Old Testament, it's got much life application for you and I today. And I want to open... Really, really, this story has life application for me? How so? The scriptures. I want to preach a message today. You could write down the title. It's called Make More Room. Make More Room. What? There's, oh, this is not a promise to me in that sense. Make more room. And I want to pray and believe that God will come and encourage us today. By the way, uh, I know that there's some people that probably come to church for the first time, maybe in their whole life or the first time in a long time, maybe at one of the campuses that's linked in. Let's put our hands together. Welcome people. Make them feel right at home. Come on, make them feel like they belong. Even if they don't believe what we believe. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for your word that is alive and active. We thank you. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We ask on a morning like today, open up our eyes so we can see you. Open up our ears so we can hear you. Do something unique and profound. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And God, I thank you that next time Magoo tries to throw a rock in my face, you'll give me something to throw back in Jesus' name. And everybody said together... Come on, get some faith for me to defend myself. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Um, you, you ever notice how life always goes from empty to full, from full to empty? Oh, what? All of life. All of life is empty to full, full to empty. You ever been hangry before? 
Let me see your hand if you've ever been hangry before. When you get hangry, you become a hunter. When you get hangry, it's like all your senses are heightened and you are searching for food no matter how many, how you're going to get it because you're empty. And when you eat hangry, you eat all the way until you're full. Come on, somebody. You eat till you're full and you know that that full is going to last for a little while. But a few hours later, you're going to be on empty again and you'll start hunting once again. This is empty to full. This is, this is your gas tank. You ever, you ever be driving in your car and you think that you're smarter than your car? Your, your, your gas tank's on empty and it's telling you you have no more miles to go, but you're like, oh, I for sure have it. I got favor of God on my life. I'm going to try and push this to the limit. Am I preaching to anybody? He's just like, I'm going to try, I'm going to try because this thing is empty. This is like a guy who's worked really hard on his wardrobe, his hair, his accessories, but has not put in the time to study God's word in order to rightly handle it. This is a mess. But I'll tell you, in life, there is nothing better than a full tank of gas. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian and you got a full tank of gas, you live in right, somebody. There it is. But it just, it's empty to full. full to em- this is your bank account. <laughs> you, you go from full to empty to empty. My snake oil meter is pinging. To not so empty, to Lord, I need some help in my life. Amen. This is my kid's toy room. We have a toy room in our house with all of our kids. And my kid's toy room always gets filled with toys because the grandparents come and visit. And so I know I've got to go in when my mom and dad are getting ready or, or my in-laws are coming. I got to clear out some room in the toy room because we don't have enough room for all the toys my mom is about to buy. And so I was telling somebody in our church this the other day, and he's got uh, four kids as well. And, and I was telling him about this problem. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. Every year, January, start of the year, January. Every year, January, I fill out thirty percent of the toys. I get rid of them. I was like, "Oh my gosh, thirty percent! How do you know what thirty percent is? Like, who are these people? What does any of this have to do with this text?" But I was just like, "I was like, it was like January. Oh yeah, January, thirty percent toys gone." Okay, <laughs> but I just. I want to talk this morning about how our God is always looking for somebody to get empty so he can fill them. Come on. In this kingdom, you can't get full until you get empty. Come on. Anybody believe Jesus' word? Bless. You can't get full until you get empty. Now, I want to read from one of the um, church fathers. I just, we'll just do a little comparative work here. One of the church fathers, early Christian church. Uh, this is Caesareus of Arles. Here's what he wrote. Just as we said concerning blessed Elijah, that he typified our Lord and Savior, dearly beloved, so we assert with confidence and assurance that holy Elisha was an image, a type, a shadow of our Savior. As you heard in the sacred lesson, a certain widow cried to blessed Elisha, beseeching him with tearful voice, My husband is dead, and behold, the creditors are come and want to take away my sons. And then he asked her what she had in the house. The woman replied, As the Lord lives, I have nothing but a little oil to anoint me. And Elisha said, Borrow vessels of your neighbors and pour out of that oil into all vessels. And when the vessels are full, sell and pay your creditors. This widow typified the church, beloved, Brothers, just like the one who merited to receive blessed Elisha, this widow, that is the church, had contracted a heavy debt of sin. 
not of material substance. She had a debt, and she endured a most cruel creditor, because she had made herself subject to the devil by many sins. Thus indeed the prophet foretold, It was for your sins that you were sold, for your crimes that your mother was dismissed. For this reason the widow was held captive for such a heavy debt. She was a captive because the Redeemer had not yet come. But after Christ our Lord, the true Redeemer, visited the widow, he freed her from all debts. Now let us see how that widow was freed, how except by the increase of oil, in which we understand mercy. Notice, brothers, the oil failed, the debt increased, the oil was increased, and the debt disappeared. Avarice is grown, and charity was lost. Charity returned, and iniquity perished. Thus, at the coming of the true Elisha, Christ our Lord, the widow, or the church, was freed from the debt of sin by the increase of oil, so that is, by the gift of grace and mercy, or the riches of charity. Now, yeah, this is a great way to handle this text, to tie it back to Christ, Elisha being a type and shadow, and the debt, well, reflecting our own debt of sin. I think that's a good way to look at this text, but I wonder if Chad from Hillsong in Southern California understands that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The way to make it in this kingdom is always going from empty to full, from full to empty. Anybody this morning, you're willing to get filled this week so you can get empty this week. Come on, give God some praise today. If you're believing God, take my life from empty to full, from full to empty. Yeah. He doesn't know what on earth he's talking about. So I, I, I bring him in because, I mean, and by the way, the sermon doesn't get any better. It just gets worse. Um, I bring him in to kind of point out that uh, over and again, one of the reasons why it's very clear that the Hillsong pastors are really squishy when it comes to actually explaining and proclaiming what God's Word says and reveals regarding our sin the reason for that's simple is that they, they claim to want to be able to have a conversation with somebody to get them in so that they can hear the truth of Christ proclaimed. And yet over and over again, we've demonstrated here at Fighting for the Faith through the reviews of sermons and different segments that we've done from various Hillsong pastors that um, you know get somebody in to a Hillsong church and they're not going to hear God's word rightly taught. They're not going to hear the law of God preached in a way to convict them of their sins and hear Christ and him crucified for our sins, placarded for them. Yeah, instead they get kind of nonsense and gibberish like that. Sad indeed. I'm sure uh, this isn't the last word on Carl Lentz's appearance on The View. But I would just point out that what he did there is so typical of what we've seen from Hillsong spokesmen in the past that it doesn't make it doesn't surprise me that that's what we heard from Carl. Very sad indeed. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Don Cherie Wilkerson. Yeah, more twisting of God's word ahead. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. You're going to want to be sitting down for this. Right. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Boos Church. Don Cherie Wilkerson, the wife of Rich Wilkerson, presiding. We're going to note off the top of the at the top of this that what she's doing, God's word forbids her to do. But apparently, uh, Rich Wilkerson's theology is not truly bound to the word of God. Rich Wilkerson, like so many others, has caved to the desires of the culture. And the culture wants to see women pastors and preachers and teachers. And so, um, well, Rich Wilkerson has given them what they want and offered up his wife as a sacrifice to the millennial culture. That's the best way I can put it. What I've said is not far from the mark. In fact, I think it correctly describes why we're going to be hearing from her when we shouldn't be. So without any further ado, here's Don Cherie Wilkerson and Church. It's a group project. Let me back off on the music. Here we go. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. You know, we found ourselves in the Old Testament over the last few weeks. And Nehemiah was a man who lived way back in the day. This story is recorded in between 458 and 420 BC. And Nehemiah was just an ordinary man who God used to do extraordinary things. And Nehemiah, he served in the Persian court. He served as a cupbearer. Now, it was way more important than just mixing drinks. He actually had a very prestigious position. Uh, a cupbearer to the Persian king was more like a personal assistant. He knew about the affairs of the nation. He was well-versed. He was cultured. And one day, he hears the word of his, of his people, the Jews. And he hears word that the Jews who have left captivity in Babylon have returned to Jerusalem. The city that God loves, the center of all religious activity for the Jews. And as they've returned to the city that they love, the city has been absolutely devastated and destroyed. And he hears news of the walls of Jerusalem, its protection, the fortress around it, that the walls that were once huge and mighty have been torn down, burned and destroyed. And Nehemiah is broken before God. He's far away from the need, but he carries the burden of the need. And Nehemiah begins to call out to God. And that's where we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going we're to start reading tonight. We're going to start verse 1. It says this, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I want to take the next few moments to talk to you about this thought. Together we can. United we stand, divided we fall. But how? Together we can. Okay. If you know, together we can. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this 8 p.m. service. Thank you for the purpose that is in this house. Thank you for the destinies, Lord, in every single seat. 
Lord, I thank you that together we can open up our hearts to see clearly, open up our ears to hear the message. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you know that when God gives you a plan, His plan is always more than just your well being? Um, where in scripture does it say I should receive a plan from God? My plans haven't arrived yet. I better check with UPS. It starts there, right? But his plan always involves you receiving his love first and then taking it to the world around you. If you have a vision for your life, I hope you know that. A Notice she's uh, teaching that each and every one of us should have a unique vision for our lives from God. This is. Either the purpose-driven uh, false teaching or the, you know, dream destiny thingy false teaching. Both are synonymous, by the way. Vision always involves reaching people. It always involves bringing hope to those who are hopeless. And here in the book of Nehemiah, we read about this man who hears of the Jews' plight. And he himself starts to carry the message and the burden of his people. He says, God, let me be a part of the solution. And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah, when he feels that burden for the people in Jerusalem, when he feels that burden to go back and rebuild the walls, that he first prays and then he plans. How many of you know that we can get that confused sometimes? Sometimes we get our order out of order, right? Sometimes we plan, right? I'm going to plan to step into this relationship. I'm going to plan to start this business. I'm going to plan to take this job. I'm going to plan to go. Yeah, notice this is a form of Narsa, Jesus, uh, reading yourself into the text. I assure you that uh, the, the, the book of Nehemiah was not written to help you to Understand the importance of uh, the right order. When God gives you a vision for your life, make sure you pray first, plan second. Yeah, that's not at all what is going on in the book of Nehemiah. Wow, this is a mess. School. I'm going to plan, and we plan, and we plan, and we plan, until all of a sudden our plan isn't the right plan. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden we begin to pray, right? Oh, God! Whose plan was it for you to allow you, a woman, to preach in Christ's church? I want your plan! <laughs> What is your plan? He's like, I had a plan. You should have asked me. We got to get the order right. There's a prayer time before you step into a plan. And before you step into action, there is a planning time where God will give you an action. It's Yeah, um, all of this again assumes the purpose-driven dream destiny thingy doctrine. And that's not what Nehemiah is about the time for the church of Jesus Christ to shoot from the hip. It's not the time for the health of your family that you make a plan based upon your emotions in the moment. The newest initiative that afternoon. Yeah, that's weird because having a woman preach is exactly what that looks like. Ever sways you or moves you or feels like a good idea. That's not God's will for your life. God's will is that right spoken by a woman during a sermon which God's word forbids. Your steps be ordered. God's will is that you cry out to him and that he gives you a plan that is faithful until the end. Come on, do you believe it tonight? We got to pray and then we got to plan.
Yeah, you gotta pray and then you gotta plan. Yeah, um, boy, this is a mess. This is exactly what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah prays, he plans, and then he acts. How many of you know there's a time where the prayer stops and you start to walk into a plan and you pray as you plan, but now God has propelled you forward to have the faith to make a plan. And then there comes a time where the planning stops and it's time to jump off the cliff of faith and trust God. And it's time to walk into action. And yeah, you pray every step of the way, but you don't hold back. You run forward. You don't run. You move. And how many of you believe today that's God's will for your life? And so Nehemiah, man, he steps out. He cries out to God and his brokenness. He receives a plan from God and then he actually makes his plea. He makes his request known to the king. He shares with the king what could have cost him his own life because it was God's plan. He found favor, not just with God, but with the king himself. And hear me, the king didn't just allow Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Oh no, it's way better than that. The king sent Nehemiah back with provision and protection. Can I encourage you today that when you step into the plan of God, he's able to open up doors that you could never open. Yeah, again, you keep thinking that the uh, the book of Nehemiah was written so that we might have the blueprint for what to do when we, like he did, receive our plans from God. Yeah, that's not it at all. Every step of the way, he's got protection for you. Can I get an amen? He's got provision. It's like she's preaching for like verbal high fives. You know, she she needs that applause line stuff. For you, all you got to do is obey. And it- Yeah, all you got to do is obey. Not the Ten Commandments. Obey the vision for what God has for your life. You step out and obey provision and protection. God will provide. And God does this for Nehemiah. And Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. As he goes back, the word of God says in chapter two, verse 11, he says, so I went to Jerusalem and there and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Now there is a change that takes place right here. Nehemiah goes back with a plan, but he is thorough. And before he opens up his mouth and shares the vision, he makes sure that he surveys the damage. He makes sure that he really understands what he is about to bring to the people. But then the turning point in the book of Nehemiah comes because all of a sudden it goes from a single person receiving a vision to God's plan, which is a group project. How many of you know that God's plan within the community of the body of Christ is always a group project, right? And it's the same in the book of Nehemiah. It's beautiful. See, we need to understand that together we rebuild the walls. Together we're called to rebuild the walls. In chapter 3, we read of the walls being rebuilt. Hear me, this... Yeah, which walls am I being called to rebuild exactly? I'm a little confused about all of this. Yeah, because... 
just because Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem doesn't mean that I'm called to rebuild walls. Again, it just this is weird allegorizing of the biblical text and putting meaning to it that doesn't make any exegetical sense at all, nor is it justified. Oh, boy. We continue. No tiny undertaking. This is no, you know, just a home being rebuilt or you going through your junk drawer. This is a lot of work and effort. These walls were not the walls of a backyard. These were the walls of a city yeah. that spanned miles yeah. and that were once strong and tall. And now they've been destroyed. And I can just see them asking, how are we going to do this? What is the first step? I don't know about you, but as I look around our world, every single week, the tragedies that are occurring, I find myself... Yeah, the tragedies occurring in our modern day world are a result of our collective sin and is, is not, you know, is not allegorized by the fallen walls of Jerusalem. How are we going to do this? Between natural disasters... Yeah, I'm not called to fix this problem. I'm called to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins and to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in His name. Yeah. Terrorism and brokenness in our city, brokenness in our family, addiction, isolation, loneliness. Our world is full of darkness and destruction. But how many of you know that we're not called to do it alone? That yeah, um, <laughs> boy, this sounds like quite the task. Um, yeah, the church hasn't been called to solve these problems. The church has been called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. We'll, we'll leave the fixing the problems of the world stuff to him. We are to make disciples. Yeah, the darkness, it overwhelms us. But when we stand together, together we can rebuild the walls of our city. Come on. Do yeah, again, we aren't called to do that. Wow, this is a mess. Leave it tonight. We're called to rebuild. We can't hesitate. It's time to move. And Nehemiah puts the vision before the people of Jerusalem. Hear what he says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Listen to what Nehemiah says. He says, do you see the destruction? See, before you can act, you got to see it. And then he makes an invitation. He, he says, come, let us rebuild. And then there were people that chose to respond to the call. Not everyone responded, but there were people that chose to step into the purpose of God. And the Bible says, they said, let us rise up and build. I don't think there's a better time in history for the local church of Jesus Christ to stand up on every continent, in every city, in every neighborhood, in every home, and to declare with a heart full of gratitude for the love of God, let us rise up and build. It's yeah, um, let us rise up and build is not the mission of the church. We are called to make disciples 
baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. Yeah, this is um, an example of mission creep, uh, a mission that we're not on, and this is not a message that we've been authorized to give. Uh, This woman is actually tearing down the walls of the church while talking about the mission of rebuilding walls, which is not what we're called to do. It's weird. To strengthen our arms for the building that is ahead. The people of Jerusalem strengthen their arms. And so should we. Because hear me, rebuilding is a lot harder than building. Building is exciting, right? You go to Home Depot, you get all your brand new, nice, clean materials. And you start on your clean, beautiful foundation. But rebuilding is messy. Rebuilding It can be fearful because as you return to the rubble, not only are you stepping into the physical labor of rebuilding, but you're facing the fears from the past. You're facing the destruction and you're facing what once was strong and now is destroyed. This is a nonsensical motivational speech given by a woman who should not be preaching at all. Rebuilding is much harder then building and the people of Jerusalem begin the rebuilding process. They go back to the walls that have been burned and destroyed and they begin to rebuild. And as I read this, this book, Nehemiah, I was reminded of last summer. Some of you were here as we- you, you were reminded of last summer. Okay. Vision Sunday last fall. And the theme was make space. And we spoke from Isaiah chapter 54. And Isaiah 54 is a prophecy. And I could hear the words resound to us today again. As I read about Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. Listen to what Isaiah says to you and to me. He says, you're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. And it's... Yeah, just because Isaiah says something like that in the book of Isaiah doesn't mean that that means that your church is going to do the city stuff. Boy, talk about allegorizing God's word and making it say things it doesn't say. As if God knew that fear would meet us at the wall as we stepped up to rebuild. Because then the prophet declares to our spirits, he says, don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget about all the humiliations of your youth. Hear me. We are called to rebuild our city. No, you're not. We're called to make disciples of all nations. This is crazy. You're called to rebuild your home. You're called to rebuild your marriage. We're called to rebuild our workplace. We're called to rebuild our faithfulness to the house of God. Some of you, you're rebuilding right now your commitment to serve and to grow. Some of you are recommitting to build and to be disciplined. But let the words of the prophet resound in your heart. Do not be afraid. You won't be embarrassed. Don't hold back. Yeah, says the woman who is embarrassing Christianity left and right with every word that she's blathering on about right now. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget about all the humiliations of your youth. That is the word of God to you today. Do you receive it? No, 
just because you screamed it doesn't mean that it's true. God wants you to know you've got what it takes because he goes before you. This wasn't Nehemiah's plan. This was God's plan. Don't allow fear of the brokenness of the past. Don't allow fear of your parents' marriage to talk you out of the victory God has for your marriage. Don't let fear of the last situation at work talk you out of taking the step of faith to do what God has called you to do. Come on, it's time for us to fight. It's time for us to believe. It's time for us to rebuild. Yeah, fight, rebuild. I have no idea how to go about doing these things. This is totally impractical. And they say, let us stand. Let us rebuild. We see this powerful, beautiful uprising of people who are committed to one vision. In chapter 3, we see this beautiful picture of what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. Because in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it paints a very clear picture of who was a part of rebuilding the wall. You don't see that very often in the Bible. Maybe when Solomon's palace was being built or, I mean, Solomon's temple was being built. But hear me, you don't see it anywhere throughout the Bible, but you see it in Nehemiah chapter three, specific names are listed, specific families and clans are listed. In fact, 16 times it says this family built next to this family. And this family rebuilt next to this family. It calls out 42 different groups of people that were a part of one vision. 42 different groups. I thought VU had a lot of teams, but we're talking 42 different teams working on one project. That's called a God plan. That's called a God dream. And here's the truth. The only way a huge undertaking like that could ever occur is when people have one vision. And when they understand that they're a part of something a lot bigger than just what they're building, I love the story of the man who went, went to the rock quarry. And as he went to the rock quarry, there he was, and he saw all these men chipping away at stones. And he saw one of the men, and the men looked really ticked off. He just looked miserable. So he decided to talk to him. He was like, hey, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting a stone. I've been cutting a stone all day. I'm just cutting a stone. He said, okay. Kept walking. Sees another guy who looks a little happier, but this guy's really intently focused on what he's doing. And he stops him. He says, hey, um, what are you doing? The guy says, oh, I am the best stone cutter in the region. I cut stones better than anyone. This is what I've given my life to. I am so focused that every single stone, it's what I'm giving my life to. So, okay, cool. Goes to the next guy. This guy looks so happy. He's working. He's whistling while he works. He's having fun. He's got joy. And he has to stop. He's like, I got to talk to this guy. What's he working on? He says, what are you doing? And the guy looks at him with a twinkle in his eye and says, oh, I'm cutting a stone. Because I am a part of building a cathedral. Hear me. All three of the men had been given the same vision. All three of them interpreted and heard it differently. And you can look at the call of God on your life and you can simply say, oh, I'm just working hard. 
Yeah, that story, by the way, doesn't make any appearance in Scripture, nor does it help us understand anything regarding Nehemiah. This is just tough. This is just rough. You can say, oh, I'm just super focused on what I'm building, my thing. Or you can say the thing I'm a part of is bigger than the part that I play. I'm building the house of God. I'm restoring the walls of the city. God is using me. Come on, do you know God's using? you god's called you he's purposed you and it starts when you understand yeah it's all about you 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 yeah this is weird vision they're working together they're working towards the same vision and where are they working it's really interesting because the bible clearly tells us that each one of these groups they were working in front of their homes they rebuilt the wall that was directly in front of their homes Now hear me, I don't know if you'll ever be called to sell everything you own and move to the other side of the world to do missions. But can I tell you that every single one of us are called to rebuild the walls on the home front where God... Sounds so biblical, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's not planted us. You want to know where to build? You start with where God has planted you. God's put a plan and a vision in front of us. Jesus is our... Yeah. um, Jesus already gave the mission and vision statements for the church. Um, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching. You'll find that in uh, Matthew 28. And Luke's version of it is uh, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Yeah, the mission and vision statements are already given. Individual churches like VU uh, Church don't get their own unique vision that we're supposed to build or rebuild or anything like that. Yeah, this woman is speaking out of turn. Of course, everybody should know that because she's speaking in a sermon when God's Word says no for women doing that. People are our heart. We're here to serve our city so that God can change our city. And we're serious about it. This is a house that believes as we serve and as we build that God does what we could never dream. You say, what does that mean? Well, Vu Cruz this week, meeting all over the city. What's that about? Rebuilding the wall. In front of our home. Yeah, the Vu crew rebuilds the wall in front of their home, which, by the way, doesn't make any exegetical sense. I have no idea what that even means. How does one go about rebuilding the the portion of the wall in front of their house uh, using Vu crews? <clears throat> we are looking for Vu clues. Anyway. In our neighborhoods, bringing hope and restoration, free to grow. Every Tuesday, every other Tuesday night on crew weeks, people are finding restoration and healing through this class. You say, what's that about? Rebuilding our walls. Being able to strengthen people's lives and for them to understand their identity. See, what is the gathering on Sundays about? We're rebuilding the walls of our city. There's enough gatherings that are full of darkness and despair and emptiness and worthlessness. But when we gather, we realize we have an eternal purpose. We're called to rebuild the walls. But it's your choice whether you step into it. Yeah, you're going to step into it. Yeah, It's your job to rebuild the wall, so you're going to step into it. I have no idea what any of that means rebuilding the wall or stepping into it. Because there is an opportunity for every single one of us 
God's called us by name, and he's invited us to be a part of it. You see, not only do... Notice she's not proclaiming repentance or the forgiveness of sins. She's not teaching all that Christ has commanded. She's not discipling any of the people there in anything that Scripture actually says or teaches. I mean, it's like she's just kind of winging it or something build the walls together. But secondly, together we reject the opposition. Hear me, whenever you start to rebuild, there is opposition. Always. Step A. Yeah, who's the sandbalot in your life? Leads to response B from the enemy. And he doesn't wait for you to complete your project. Just as soon as you speak your faith that you're going to start it, that's when he starts his plan to attack. When you take that first step, he wants to knock the wind out of you. He's waiting to kill, steal, and destroy. See, so don't you? That sounds really intense. Really? Yeah, Scripture's clear. It's not the devil who steals, kills, and destroys. Yeah, that's false teachers like Don Cherie Wilkerson. I think we could all look to people in our lives, people that we love whose life has been destroyed by the darkness. The enemy is waiting to destroy but together we reject the opposition. And in Nehemiah, we see a picture of opposition rise up. We read about Sanballat. Sanballat was a local official and he was ticked off that they were trying to build the walls. I mean, he starts to make fun of them. He starts to criticize them. He starts to talk. He's saying things with his buddies like, oh, if a fox walked on that wall, it would crumble. Are you kidding me? This is a huge wall they're building, but he's mocking them. And he's belittling them. How many of you know that the enemy will try always to make you believe that what God's placed in your hand is insignificant? He'll always try to make you believe that what God has entrusted you with. Yeah, notice she's just turned the characters in the book of Nehemiah into like Aesop's fables. You know, like one is the tortoise, the other is the hare. and And the moral of the story is, you know, this is not how you exegete a text. It worth your time or your effort or your sacrifice. And Sanballat starts to belittle what they are doing as they are rebuilding. And then he even takes it a step further. He actually plans an attack. And we find this story in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, why are these feeble Jews, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? The enemy was so angry that breaches were being filled. And you may not see the breaches being filled in your life and in your home through your faithfulness, but it's happening. And the enemy sees it even before you see it because he sees your faith and it strikes fear in his heart because light always overcomes the darkness. And Sanballat tries to strike fear in Nehemiah's heart. And you know what? It almost works. They almost buy it. And we almost read a story of the rebuilding process being finished and being left broken. Because they start to listen to the voice of the enemy. Listen to what the Jews begin to say and tell me if it sounds familiar. In Judah, it was said, this is verse 10, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I think we just read that Sanballat was calling what they were building a pile of rubble. And now we read just a couple verses later that the builders have picked up on what their enemy is feeding them and hasn't just believed it, but now they are regurgitating it. Now they are speaking it out themselves. They have bought the lie. I I have the greatest Italian grandmother. She is amazing. I call her Nana. And she was an athlete. She's a musician. And I just love her so much. And for the last several decades, she's struggled with migraines. And growing up, my, my nana had a parrot. And this parrot I thought was so cool when I was younger because I would go over to her house and this parrot could talk. And I don't know if you guys have ever been around a parrot, but it's pretty unbelievable because they pick up on every single thing you say. And this parrot, I would be over at the house hanging with her, and this parrot would start to sing in an opera tone, Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. (laughs) And then I'd be in the middle of hanging out and playing and just hanging at the house, and then all of a sudden I'd hear this voice, and it sounded a lot like my nana, but my nana was with me, so it was impossible, and I'd hear this voice go, Oh, Jesus, my head hurts so bad. How many of you know that parrot's head did not hurt? (laughs) That parrot had just heard many times someone else speak that their head hurt. And all of a sudden that parrot started to repeat what it heard. Some of you have bought the lie of the enemy. Some of you have picked up on the criticism. Some of you have picked up on the negativity. Some of you have picked up on the language of the enemy. But it's time for you to wake up and go, oh, no, I'm not destroyed. Oh, no, I'm not broken. Oh, no, it's all about me. And yeah, well, where's Jesus in all of this? He seems to be mysteriously missing a victim because of Jesus. I'm victorious because of Jesus. I've got a purpose because of Jesus. I've got a destiny. Come on. Do you believe it? Just shout out that you have a purpose and a destiny. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, but God has not created you for a purpose. Scripture is clear in Ephesians 2.10 that you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not a purpose, not a destiny. Tonight in this house, it's time for you to speak your faith. It's time for you to speak your faith. And they reject the opposition. The Jews start to believe it, but then Nehemiah, being the great leader that he is, he doesn't walk over to them and give them a pity party. He doesn't pat them on the back and say, hey, let's take a break and let's have a couple meetings and then we'll try to plan something else that you're comfortable with and that you feel good about. No, Nehemiah comes in with a plan straight from God. And he says, you know what? We're not going to stop building. We're going to bulk up and we're going to start to provide protection as well. And this is what we read. That Nehemiah stands before the people. He says in verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked in a rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. 
This is God's word to us tonight. That when the enemy tries to intimidate you from backing down from your post of rebuilding together, because he knows together we can do this, that you would look back and you would say, absolutely not. I won't be afraid of you. Just as Nehemiah said, I will remember my God. I will remember who he is. I remember that he doesn't abandon me. He doesn't give me a purpose and then leave me alone to figure it out. I'll remember that I serve the God whose mercies are new every morning. I'll remember the God who doesn't ever write me off or give up on me. I'll remember the God whose love is unconditional. I'll remember the God who has been faithful every step of the way. And as I remember who he is, I'll remember who I am. And I'll fight for my family. I'll fight for my sisters. I'll fight for my brothers. I'll fight for this city. I'll fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Because God has called us. Yeah, you're the saviors of the world. Yeah, not Jesus. Yeah, he's... So glad you guys finally showed up to clean up this mess. Wow, I don't know how we made it this far without you. To rebuild. And not only do they rebuild the walls together, not only together can we reject the opposition, but finally tonight, together we protect our position. Together, as we rebuild, we protect our position. Nehemiah, he stepped up as the leader and he added safety. They returned to work, and this time they were armed. And this verse gets me fired up. Verse 15 in chapter 4 says this. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Hear this. This is a picture of what we do. So you're going to note she didn't actually work her way verse by verse of the book of Nehemiah. She kind of cherry-picked different portions of it, turned it into Aesop's fables, uh, and a fable about your purpose, your destiny. And she's kind of allegorized this this text and basically assumes that, see, what Nehemiah went through, we're going to go through with our church's vision. And so we got, in order to make this vision happen that God has given us, we need to follow this map. That's, again, not what Nehemiah is about. Don't believe me? Go read the book. As we follow Jesus. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand. And held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side. They labored to build the wall with one hand. And they stood on guard. Ready to fight the battle at hand with the other. Hear me. Whatever we hold on to in our hands. Because the Bible says throughout Nehemiah that they strengthened their hands. And that the Lord strengthened their hands. Whatever you hold in your hands should either be for building or for protection. Yeah, so what are you holding in your hand? Uh, cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique to designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to get them to make decisions. What decision I, the, the Holy Spirit is trying to get these people to make, I have no clue because none of this makes a lick of sense. Anything else is not worth your time, your energy, your effort. 
In one hand, they were building. In the other, they were protecting. What are you holding on to? Is your grasp firmly around the past? Because the past isn't rebuilding your life. Yeah, is your grasp around the past? I have no idea what that means. And the past isn't protecting you. Yeah, that past can't protect you. Wow, they hired Stephen Furtick's uh, audience to help her along. What is your hand around today? Is it around bitterness and unforgiveness? That bitterness is not building you. And that bitterness is not protecting you no matter how safe it makes you feel. Are you holding on to shame? That shame isn't from God. That shame is not building your life. It's not protecting you. That laziness, that comfort, what are you holding on to? Because as followers of Jesus, we don't have to guess what God has given to us to build and protect with. God has placed us in community. And do you know that community builds and protects? That we gather together every single time, whether it's in cruise or for team night or on Sundays at the crack of dawn or late at night, that we are building the body of Christ. And with our faithfulness, we are protecting the legacy that God has entrusted to us. Yeah, the the, the vision, the legacy specific to Vu's church. This is the plan of God for us that we build and protect. And you say, Don Shree, that's impossible. That's too hard. No, it's not. God's already given you what you need. You say, what do you mean? Well, as followers of Jesus, we're filled with the spirit of God, right? And all of a sudden, as we trust him, he makes a change that we could never make on our own. And our life externally starts to visibly produce the fruits of the spirit. I want you to think about the fruit of the spirit for just a moment. Because I believe that the evidence of the spirit living within you is actually beautiful evidence that you are building and protecting at the same time. Love. You know, love builds and it protects. Love builds as we speak life over those around us. Love protects as we stand up for those that need a defense. What about faith? I love to talk about faith. Because even in the darkest times of despair, when faith rushes in, our circumstances may not change, but all of a sudden we realize that we're armed for battle. And faith builds. Faith builds an atmosphere. As you raise your hands and start to sing glory. Faith builds an atmosphere? What? To glory to God. Don't you know the atmosphere changes? That's because faith builds. Faith builds as you serve. Faith builds as you step out and trust God. Faith builds in one hand, but on the other hand, faith protects. Because when fear comes against you and tries to attack you, how many of you know... Faith gets in there and it... Boy, this woman has so much to say. None of it's biblical. She's just going on and on and on and on and on, basically parading her ignorance for everyone to see. It out. Faith Faith gets in there and it shuts the mouth of the accuser. Faith builds and it protects. God's given us the ability together to build and protect. We aren't called to build and protect on our own. It would have been a joke if one of those kids... Stepped up one of the sons or daughters of one of the families and just said, I'm going to do this alone. But no, together they were able to build and protect. That's really what this Saturday is about. Some of you have heard about team conference. Yeah, yeah. Building and protecting. I mean, you know, the team conference thingy. Yeah, that's happening at Vu's church, you know, this weekend. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, you know, the building protecting work of the, you know, yeah. uh So excited because... This is a conference specifically for 
people who are servant leaders in our house. You say, what is a servant leader? You know, you may say it's a fancy way of volunteering, but I just think that the purpose is so much deeper than that. That's what we don't call it volunteering. We call it servant leadership. Because as we serve, we know that God uses us to lead people to his love. And this Saturday, we place value on equipping the people that are building this house. It's completely free, just for servant leaders. We have two world-renowned, incredible ministers of the gospel coming. Gary Clark from Hillsong, London, leading multiple campuses throughout. Yeah, that can't be good. The city of London, changing the city with the light of Jesus. Levi Lesko, pastor of Fresh Life, author of two. Yeah, that's not good either. Selling books, incredible man and leader. You say, why? why? Why do you take the time to do that? Because we want to invest in those who are building. We want to invest in those so that they can understand that they're equipped to build, but that together we're also equipped to protect. And how do you protect? You yeah, can- are you equipped to protect build thingy? Because, you know, that's why we're inviting Levi Lusco. That makes no sense. He's a Bible twister. And a severe one at that. We've covered him many times here at Fighting for the Faith. Check our archives if you're not convinced. Eyes on the same vision. You have a bigger picture than just yourself. And as we link up together, all of a sudden we're able to reach people that were unreachable. Maybe you heard in the news this summer, it made national news that In Panama City Beach, there were two young boys, 8 and 11 years old, who were outside hanging out, having the best day with their family, I'm sure. And they were boogie boarding out in the ocean, and all of a sudden the rip current was so strong that it started to pull them out into the ocean. And they got in a very serious situation where they could not make it back. They started to scream and shout for help, and their family that was on the beach saw them crying out for help, and their family ran out into the ocean, just like you would for those that you love. They ran out, and the whole family, the mother ran out, the family ran out, and before long, as they tried to rescue these two boys, they found themselves in the same predicament. Their lives were at risk. They were fighting for their lives against the waves as the current pulled them out back into the ocean further and further as they tried to fight their way back. And people on the shore started to take notice as they screamed and as their hands waved, crying out for help. They couldn't help themselves. There wasn't a boat nearby. The rescue team couldn't get to them in time. They were trying to get together a plan when all of a sudden, complete strangers on shore decided that together they could do something. And CNN will tell you that over 80 strangers linked arms. And they reached and formed a human chain from the shore all the way to that family. And that family was saved. You say, Don Shree, the darkness is too great. Oh, no, together we can. You say, Don Shree. Together we can, Don Shree. I don't. Together we can what? Your church sounds like it's not even remotely involved in the actual work that Christ has given to the church. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that he's commanded. Your church has totally cut corners capitulated to the culture and allowed a woman to teach who clearly isn't qualified to even teach Sunday school and fill these people's heads with all kinds of nonsense and twisting up the the story of Nehemiah. A situation is too impossible. No, together we can. You say this city will never change. Oh, no. With the power of God and our sacrifice and obedience, he says to... 
our sacrifice and obedience. How about Jesus's obedience and his sacrifice for our sins? That, that, that Jesus is like not even on this lady's radar. Together we can. Come on, give God a shout of praise in this house. Uh, the machine gun of shrilly nonsense. Good night. Yeah, that has nothing to do with what Scripture teaches. No repentance, no forgiveness of sins. Which, by the way, you'll see that in spades in the book of Nehemiah if you read it. Yeah, you will. And not humbly petitioning God to pray and protect. No, just we're going to go. We're going to conquer. We're, we, got, we, got, we need to get an individual vision. And we need to defend ourselves in that vision. And We can, we can. Yeah, no, you can't. We need a Savior, and you're not them. Oh, man. And this is what happens when you compromise and sacrifice the hard truths of Scripture in order to be relevant to the culture. You end up losing the message altogether. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. It's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.